there is a, a minuscule increase in happiness after around 120,000 in income uh, because all the, all the stuff you're getting, it doesn't give you the satisfaction you think it would. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am really excited for this guest today. We've connected a couple of times and um, it's been in the works to get this um, recording scheduled. And I uh, greatly appreciate the patience and you know schedules get in the way. So it's been amazing to be able to have the time to get him on the show. And I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation so much. I have Fred Joyle with us today. He is an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and a business advisor. He co-founded the most successful dentist referral service in the country, 1-800-DENTIST. He has previously written two books on marketing, has dabbled in stand-up and improv comedy, acted in bad movies and excellent TV commercials. His latest... His latest book, Super Bold, From Underconfident to Charismatic in 90 Days, was just released in October. He once beat Sir Richard Branson in chess and was also a question on Jeopardy. He's an avid cyclist, a below average tennis player, and an even worse golfer, which means we're going to get along great. I feel like um, golf is... I'm really good at... Um, riding in the golf cart and hitting a good shot every now and then and drinking beer. So I kind of feel like that's what golf is meant for. Um, he lives in Los Angeles and I am so excited to be able to have him on the show really quickly before we bring him in. I do want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by success development solutions and the design your life book club. The design your life book club is built like no other book club around. It is made for the purposes of not only reading books, but also implementing the things that are in those books and then connecting you to the authors so that you can learn at a deeper level. I'm super excited for what this has allowed people to accomplish since its inception about five months ago. If you are somebody who wants to not only increase your access to information and knowledge of people who have been through similar experiences that you can learn from, but you also want to do that in a community of like-minded people and then build the connection with authors to learn at a deeper level, then the Design Your Life Book Club is for you. Click the Calendly link underneath this episode, and let's have a conversation about whether or not it's a good fit. And without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Fred into the show. Fred, how are you doing? Fantastic, Amber. Great to be here. Looking I'm forward so to excited to, to have you. So. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much. Um, so let's go ahead and start by going back just a little bit um, and learning about who you are and how you got to where you are right now. So what was it like being maybe 15, 16, 17-year-old Fred? What did you think your life was going to be like? What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I had no sense of having a vision for your life or a plan Uh And I was a very shy person, uh, extremely so. I couldn't ask a girl on a date or ask him to dance or make a phone call even. And so I was just hiding in books and uh, had a small group of friends and just didn't really know where I was going to be. And actually spent probably the next decade trying to figure out where I wanted to end up uh, because I just didn't. No, I dropped out of college after two years and took uh, four years off and then finally went back and had a little bit more sense of what I wanted to know, but I didn't have a sense of what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to write. 
that, that's kind of it. And that actually became the driving force in my life. And one of my key life skills is my ability to, to write and effectively communicate. I think it's really interesting that you said you knew what you wanted to know, but you didn't know what you wanted to do. I think that that is such an important distinction that I don't think we've actually dug into on this show before. What does that look like to know what you want to know, but not know what you want to do? And how did that impact your education and learning process? I knew what that I was a psychology major in when I started college. So I wanted to know how people were uh, reacting to stuff, what persuaded them, what uh, motivated them. And it was just way too clinical, all of the stuff, the, the cognitive psychology stuff that they were teaching at the time. And I, I, I thought this isn't this isn't what I really want to know. This isn't how I want to get this knowledge. And it wasn't until many years later that I started to listen to people like Tony Robbins and other people like that, and 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 understand uh, NLP and uh, just uh, neuroscience and all of that. That suddenly started to make sense. But I also started to listen to people who were really good communicators, whether they were sales coaches or they were uh, just some kind of personal growth uh, individual that was teaching that stuff. And I went, wow, this is, these people get it. These people yeah. understand how to communicate that. And so I continue, that continues to be what I want to know most, you know, whether I'm listening to Brene Brown or, uh, you know, uh, Tony or uh, Ray Dalio or anybody, all of these people are informing me. Um, and I have a good circle of friends that inform me and coach me on this stuff too. Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm thinking back to my experiences and the experiences that I see so much in postgraduate professions. And the idea of knowing what you want to know, but not knowing what you want to do, I think is something that could change the way that those professions operate if more people understood the distinction between those. And I was just having a conversation with somebody who wants to go to law school. And I said, I'm so excited to be able to share with you pre-law school, the knowledge that I have now so that you can make law school and your legal career what you want it to be instead of what the profession tells you that it should be. And I think that that's the biggest difference between what you want to know and what you want to do. Like people think they're interested in a topic. So that must be what they want to do with their career because they haven't separated being interested in knowledge with the actual profession itself. And I, I think that that's such an important distinction. Well, and, and let's tie it to, they, a lot of people go how much money they want to make. And that yes. is, and, and you just have to say, well, what do you want to do? Okay. So we're going back to what do you want to know before you, what, what you want to do and how much money you want to make. It, it won't be enough if you're doing the wrong thing for yourself. If, if it's unsatisfying, a million dollars won't be enough. And if it's satisfying, $70 million will be enough uh, because you'll have a roof over your head and food and, and for your kids and, uh, your your life will be point have have a point to it uh, yeah. instead of just money. Money's not a point, right? Uh, yeah, everybody's convinced it is, but it isn't. Yeah, and that's the deeper question that doesn't get asked enough early enough, and that is when you have this income goal in your mind. Why why is that income goal important? What do you think? that income goal that you have for yourself is going to do for your life. Because that's the disconnection that I feel like is missed with so much of what we know as quarter or midlife crises, where people have chased something without really tying that external thing to the result they thought it was going to bring. And now they're making this shift and everybody says, well, what are you doing blowing up your life? but they built a life they didn't want. And so when, when we talk about this money goal, I've never met anybody who says, 
I, I want to make a million dollars so that I can hold a million dollars in my hand. Like they always think it's going to bring them something. And then identifying that something is what's missing. Yeah. And it's, what well, is it a lifestyle or is it, and that's, that's one thing to look at a certain level of comfort and security. There's certain reasons to have money for that. Um, but beyond a certain point, and they've measured it, that there is a, a minuscule increase in happiness after around 120,000 in income. Uh, because all the, all the stuff you're getting, it doesn't give you the satisfaction you think it would. Um, the, there's very little difference between a $200,000 car and a $100,000 car. It's uh, true. Except for the bragging rights, which is, should be embarrassing. Right, that that you're you're trying to impress people with your car. Um, yeah. Why not impress them with your integrity? Why not impress them with your generosity, with your um, fulfillment in life, your impact on the world? That that's certainly what I try to get people to see. It's like your contribution to your friends and your family and your employees. And the world is going to matter way more than your bank account. Um, and you're not going to create a legacy by how much money you spent on stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious to know, how does somebody who has this interest in psychology and interest in writing and has those goals end up founding or co-founding this dentist referral service. How did that all come to play? Because that seems like a disconnect to me. Yeah, of course it does. Because what I really wanted was to work in advertising. I figured out that those were my people, that, that when I walked into an ad agency the first time, I thought, oh, I can do this. This Because I wanted to write. I wanted to be able to write for a living. Um, and so, you know, when you come to Hollywood and you try to write some screenplays and you find out nobody's going to buy them, uh, and you, and then I discovered advertising and I really loved it. And I, and I loved the learning about how to effectively persuade and communicate the value of something to the point where somebody is interested in buying it. But I also wanted my own business. I realized that at a certain point. And fortunately, a good friend of mine had the same urge at the same time. And we just had the opportunity to start this business. And we really wanted something very specific beyond the, the, the dentistry was a side note to the, the goal, which was we wanted a place where we wanted to go to work every day where we liked going every day. And so did everybody else who worked there. That was the number one core value long before people talked about core values. The second one was we wanted to make sure that everybody involved won, that it wasn't just uh, the we won, maybe the customer loses kind of thing, right? Because we, my partner and I had had really bad jobs where some of some of them were sales jobs where I was selling stuff and they would be folded secretly into it was a 20% financing fee and stuff like that. And the people couldn't even afford it, but I had learned the persuasion to talk them into it. And it was like, we never want to do this again. Everybody's got to win or we're not doing it. And third was to make a bunch of money. But money stayed third. It stayed third the whole time we had the business, which is not what happens. A lot of people, as they start to make a lot of money in the business, in their own business, they start to think about how can I make even more money and maybe pay people less or maybe I don't need to offer these benefits because I want a nice yacht or I want to start flying on private jets and stuff like that. That's not who we were. And, that's, and, and because of it, one, we're still great friends and two, we created a great place to work and we benefited millions of people with our service and thousands of dentists with our business. That's and, amazing. Yeah. So did either of you have ties to or knowledge of the dental industry before, or how was that what was picked to be the um, industry 
that you did the marketing uh, it in? Was, it was a, a random thing. It had nothing to do with anything we knew about dentistry. Uh, a friend of ours had the 800 number. He had, when 800 numbers first came out, he went, oh, look, dentist, that's seven digits. I'm going to reserve that number. And he hung on to it for five years. And then he saw me working in advertising. And he said, I think you could turn this into a business. So he licensed us the phone number. And we eventually acquired it from him years later. But that was the total impetus. Uh, and it just happened to work. We were dumb enough and young enough to try anything and could live on very little money. And so we just, but once you get committed to doing something, it's kind of hard to get out of it. You know, we had some money from our, our family to start the business, like 30 grand, like nothing, but we couldn't lose <laughs> their money. Um, and so we had to keep showing up every day and getting out there and doing everything we could to get it off the ground. And it took about three years and suddenly it became profitable. And we went, wow, uh, we might be right after all. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. So is 1-800-DENTIST still a thing? And do you still co-own it? Or No, I sold it. Uh, it's going on six years ago now. Uh, and it was in decline. Google basically disintermediated the business heavily. And, you know, it's based on a phone number. That's people don't, that's not mm -hmm. how they find stuff anymore. Um, so it is morphed, uh, but it's a pale shadow of what it once was. It is still a business, but it's nothing like what it was. We lived off of television advertising, which I created uh, gotcha. with a lot of help. Of course, I had tons of help, great people working with me to do all, all of the advertising. But we were really efficient at it, at, at the creation of advertising in the placing of media and the tracking up. We had phenomenal tracking systems. Uh, very early on, and we just constantly refined them. But it was always about that personal touch. We ran a live call center. People got to talk to a human being. It, we were 20-something years in before we gave them a menu of choices. They got a live person right away, like by the third ring, and they'd be thinking they had a machine, so they wouldn't speak right away. They go like, hello, are you, are you a real person? Yes. How can I help you? Oh, that's interesting, that, yeah. especially when that wasn't the common practice, which is really cool. Yeah. I think um, many times now people expect that, um, but back then that wasn't the case. So um, so we know that you have this interest in psychology. We know that you have this interest in writing. We know that you have this background in marketing. How does that all equate to acting and how did that all happen? Well, I was I was the spokesperson in my commercials for about 20 years um, and uh, and I wanted to get good at public speaking. And I also had an interest in comedy. So I started studying improv comedy just for the fun of it. But it it was probably the most powerful life skill that I could have developed. And I did it inadvertently. But when you learned to trust your creativity, to walk on stage with no material in front of people and try to make them laugh. It's when you get to go on stage with prepared material that you don't have to make people laugh, it's easy. It's, it's, it's just fun and you can be completely spontaneous and tap into all of that creativity. Um, and, and also the process of improv of starting very gradually, almost non-verbally, was when you first start improv comedy, informed Super Bold, my book, in how you develop your confidence and boldness. It's the same sort of pathway that I employed that, that is used in improv comedy. But then, of course, I, I developed a substantial speaking career, which I still have. I speak primarily in the dental industry, but I also speak to business organizations and sales organizations, and I'm coaching CEOs at this point. And I'm, I'm, I've moved beyond dentistry in terms of my audience in my messages. So, yeah. but, it's, but I've had this terrific life skill of being able to be comfortable on stage and communicate effectively and create presentations. Yeah, I think it's interesting because before COVID hit, I've always been extremely 
reserved when it comes to being in front of people. Starting this podcast was so far out of my comfort zone. And people were always surprised to hear that because I'm an attorney. I go into a courtroom and I argue on behalf of people in front of people all the time. But it's like a persona that I embraced and became to be able to do that. And it's easier when you're doing something for somebody else, right? Um, the when, well, one of the things that I always wish that I could do when, when people say, is there anything that you wish you could do differently? I tried growing up in a small town to act in plays. And I always remember being so reserved that I didn't really get to enjoy that experience. And I said, I always thought it'd be interesting to go back with this new found confidence that I got from everything that I've done now and relive those childhood experiences and actually embrace them. So I'm telling a friend of this mine, right? A friend of mine this right before COVID hit. And she says, Well, I'm in an improv troupe. You should come hang out with us. And I was going to go, and then COVID happened, and I haven't been able to take those classes yet because they haven't reopened. But I think it's so interesting because I'm meeting people now who are open about the fact that much of their success in the coaching and speaking and training world comes from the skills that they learned in an improv or comedy setting that yeah. allows them to connect with people. And I think that that's so interesting. It, when you figure out that you can tap in to your creativity and, and your full cognitive skills in front of people, when you figure out that that's not only possible, but you develop the skill to do it, your confidence in, it, it explodes basically because nothing intimidates you. Everything that could go wrong on stage, you don't care. The, the presentation could like blow. I've had a power failure. I've had the whole room go dark, right? And, and done the presentation with the emergency lights on with no projector, no nothing. And you just get to the point where, where whatever happens, happens. And it's going to be all right. And your mistakes and endear you to the audience. I'm sometimes I do stuff on purpose so that the audience has to correct me, and they suddenly see that I'm just a human being, and they they go, "Oh, he's just one of us." It changes yeah. that dynamic of I'm I'm the speaker and you're the audience. I have the knowledge. Um, they don't want to be preached to. They want to be taught. They want to hear something and they want to be entertained. That's your ability to communicate in an entertaining way, telling a story well that's relevant and bringing that point home and stopping in, your, in the middle of your lesson and just saying something ridiculous to make them laugh or showing a funny slide or something like that. Your sense of how to break things up and understand how people absorb information is powerful. But what draws them in, again, circling back to what I teach in my book, is when you are confident, that is magnetic to people. When you're when you are boldly, comfortably on stage, that attracts people because they envy it to a degree and they're but they're just drawn in by it. And that gives you the opportunity to really penetrate with some with your ideas. And that's yeah. what you want to be able to do from the stage. Yeah. And I think the most important thing about this, and I'm interested um, to hear your opinion on this, is this is where that idea of, yes, you've got to get in, you've got to practice, you've got to, you've got to get comfortable with it. But this is where the idea of fake it till you make it falls apart. Because if you are trying to pretend to be bold and confident on stage, that does not create the same connection as actually being confident and bold on stage. So how do people who are reserved get the practice that they need without alienating the people that they're trying to talk to until they do actually embrace that confidence and boldness? Well, the first thing you have to let go of is your the perfectionism that holds everybody back from trying anything new is they want to be good at it in the first 10 or 12 seconds because they don't want to fail. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want people to look at them and go like, you don't know how to do this. So they don't try it, which, of course, as we know, guarantees failure, right? When you don't 
attempt something. You make it's you didn't buy the lottery lottery ticket. You're definitely not going to win. So uh, when you let go of that perfectionism, you realize you're just developing a skill, whether it's to speak or it's to just be confident. Boldness is a life skill that you can learn. I learned it. I taught myself. The idea is to not spend 35 years figuring it out. I'm trying to compress this so that it's like you were talking about. I wish I could go back to the young Amber in law school person and tell her this stuff. This yeah. is me telling somebody what I wish I knew at 20 about boldness and confidence and communication skills, how to connect with people uh, and, and how to chase your dreams effectively uh, by changing your mindset. And so, one, you have to want to change. Two, you have to embrace the suck. You are not going to be good at it. You are going to suck. And that's how you get better. That's why... The, the exercises I have in the book start so low that and they're and they're aimed at failing. For example, one of the exercises is smile at everybody you encounter and notice the people that don't smile back and don't take it on because you don't know what's going on in their day. You don't have to take personal offense that a stranger didn't smile at you one they're a stranger. And two, it could be the worst day of their life. Um, or they could have bad teeth, you know? Uh, so, or, or they think you're a stalker. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you, you just want to, you're doing that exercise just without any reward intended. You're just doing, I'm going to smile, just to smile. And but what's going to happen is 90% of the people are going to smile back and you're going to start to sense that loop and then you're going to take it to the next level and you're going to start to compliment strangers and then you're going to start to speak to strangers. This is what the weird thing everybody has to let go of is is talking to strangers because we're taught not to do that. I just I got to tell you this because it happened to me last week and it was just so fascinating is I live in a five story building and I got in the elevator with this. Uh, mom and her, uh, I'm going to say the girl's five, um, but she's around that. And she's uh, maybe four. She was probably younger than that. And she's she's got a, a fun bicycle helmet on. So I just said, I really love your dinosaur helmet. And she goes, oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, it's pink, right? And like, you know, they, they make sure you understand why it's great. Um, and she sees me push. Uh, I she pushes her floor, and I say, "Could you push my floor?" Because kids love to push elevator floors, right? So I say, "Could you push four for me?" So she pushes four, and then she's and and she's then she's pushed three for them, and she says, "Wow, you're only one floor away. We could come visit you sometime." And I just thought, this is what's in kids that we beat out of them. She's like. I'm going to come up and meet you, right? You live only a floor away. She's like totally wide open. Um, and then gradually she's taught, you don't, don't, don't be a show off. Don't speak when you're spoken to. Don't call attention to yourself. All of this stuff that's very primal, this need to fit in, right? She, they start to embrace that. Bold people don't do this to themselves. And that's how they get to chase their dreams and as you said, you you were extremely uncomfortable starting this podcast. Oh, no except, doubt. Except you went anyway. That's all boldness is, is figuring out how to step into your discomfort zone at a level that you can handle till it's comfortable. And so uh, all the way back to embracing the fact that you are going to suck till you get better. And then you're going to get I was a terrible speaker, but somebody gave me a stage the first time. And then the second time I got to watch the video and the second time I was better because I watched the video and went, oh my gosh, what are you doing? What are you saying? Let go of your ears. What are you doing? All the stupid stuff you do because you're this unconscious. Yeah. And I learned it and I just, I, I was willing, you know, it takes a certain amount of boldness to watch your own videos and go, 
man, you're not good at this yet. You know, uh, <laughs> it's and- so true. It's so true. No matter whether it's videos, whether it's audio, whatever it is, it's so hard. And honestly, this podcast has been going, we're, we're almost at 250 episodes now. Wow. And I still never listen to an episode until it's released out of fear that there will be something that was said or done in it that will cause me to call the guest and say, hey, do you want to redo this? Um, <laughs> and then knowing that the way that we redo it will never be as good as the first time because you can't recreate that authenticity. So from the episode one, and this was really where I, this was the compromise I had to make with myself to launch this podcast was record, send to my editor, don't listen to it, let it be released, and then listen to it and learn from it. Because I knew if I did it the other way around, it would never get released. That listening and learning step is so important though, because we naturally get better at things the more comfortable we get and the more that we learn about them. But there are things that we do that once we're aware of, we can start to change that require intentional action. And I love that you said that you watched the video and you were willing to embrace getting better. I think that that's such an important step. Well, you do stuff that, you know, a lot of people say, um, a lot. Uh, and, and, and I have actually, somebody was talking about this. I think it was Tim Ferriss who was talking about it. He says, I have three things that make that I see people do wrong is they say the men tend to say, um, a lot, if they're not polished, the women tend to say like a lot and as just stick it in randomly. And he said, and the third thing that drives them crazy is every time I ask a question, they go, that's a great question. It's like, <laughs> I don't need you to grade my question. I need you to answer it. Right. It's like, but it's, they're like, somebody's taught them in some sales class or something that you always say, that's a great question. <laughs> so what? How about, how about a great answer? You know, yeah. That's right. What I'd like. I think that one of the most important things about that is this comfortable with silence idea. People and I know that I'm guilty of this on many occasions that I get to rein back in. People get uncomfortable with that silence and that that pause to think about what they want to say. And they feel like they need to fill that with something, which is where those filler words come in. In my big girl job, I'm an immigration attorney. And one of the first things that I tell my clients when we're getting ready to go into an interview is you're going to be asked questions. And after you answer that question, there's going to be this silence while the interviewer flips through pages and tries to decide what they want to ask you next. And that silence is completely normal and needed. What happens is that many people get nervous and they fill that silence with something and then they end up saying things that never needed to be said that cause an interviewer to look at their case in a way they never would have looked at it and makes my job harder. It's the same thing when it comes to communicating with somebody. When it comes to any sales situation, you know, one of the biggest reasons that people lose sales is because they talk themselves out of it because they're uncomfortable with the silence when people are processing what they want to do in their head. And one of the most uncomfortable things I ever had to learn was to make people say no to me, was to <laughs> stop let there be silence and then let the other person say what they wanted to say without me trying to make that silence more comfortable. Yeah. Well, they call it selling through the clothes, right? It's like you keep talking and you'll eventually find a reason where they won't buy, where yes. they might've been ready. But you know, in training people for a deposition, it's the same thing as what you're talking about with your clients is, and, and I've been in a bunch of depositions and I would love the training because it was, he said, no matter what they ask you, do not answer right away. I want you to pause, think about what the shortest, simplest answer is, and give me a chance to object. If yeah. you just jump in with an answer because you think you're going to persuade them in a deposition, you're an idiot, right? And you're, <laughs> and you're making my job way harder. And so I would love stuff um, like when they would say, uh, can you uh, give me the, you know, your 
educational history? What's the answer to that question? Yes. That's it. Yes, I can give it to you. But people sure. start rattling off their educational history. And when you do that, it's I, we're getting into this stuff, but it throws the, the other attorney off. Because yeah. he goes, well, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to babble, and you're doing the opposite. And I yeah. had I, one one guy actually said, "Can you give me the benefit of your education?" And I said, "No," because I I can't give him the benefit of my education. I can't make him wealthy with my education, right? So that's the answer is no. And he was like, "You're not going to tell me." And I'm like, <laughs> well, that's not what you asked. Right. And my lawyer just jumps in and says, you know, and you know, you need to clarify your question, counsel. Um, but it's, it's but it's all part of the fun of communication dynamics. And when when you learn to, and that was the other thing, you gotta learn to sit there and relax. Yeah. And breathe. Um, I love as I use filler words, that's amazing for this conversation. <laughs> I love the exercises that you talk about in your book, because that action, you and I have had conversations about the arbitrary number of books that people choose to read a year and how detrimental that can be to actually implementing anything that you read. The idea that you're going to osmosis in the skills that you need to through reading a book without taking any action is ludicrous, yet we tend to assume that that's the way it works. And I'm always drawn to books that have the exercises in them. And the exercises that you have are so simple and yet so effective. And they're things that I've used in my journey without realizing what I was doing, which I think is so incredibly powerful. That's the point is you have to do stuff. If you want to learn guitar, you're not going to read a book or 10 books on guitar. You're going to start to play the guitar. And you know what? You will suck. Your fingers will hurt and you will sound terrible until you don't gradually. And it's the same thing with building your confidence and building your communication and social skills. We don't learn basic social skills like how to shake hands, how to make eye contact, or even more importantly, how to connect with somebody and make them feel like the most interesting person in the room. That is a life skill. And it is an incredibly powerful one to use. And you can eventually do it from the stage. You can make people feel like you're connecting to all of them from that stage. But it starts gradually. This, and I tell everybody who gets my book, I say, this is not a book of ideas for you to read and go, wow, these are great ideas. This is a book for you to do stuff. You are going to have to do the exercises and write in your journal what happened. Because that's just like going to the gym. It's not about reading about lifting weights. It's about lifting weights. You're going to have to do these exercises. And you're going to build your boldness muscle. But guess what? There's going to be this fabulous positive feedback loop. If you start to learn to compliment strangers, you're going to feel like you're sprinkling fairy dust on people. It's like you're, gonna, you're walking around making people feel better about themselves. I, I do this all the time when I'm, I get a Starbucks and I'll go to the barista after and after I've taken a couple of sips and I'll say, excuse me. And they get that look like, oh, no, that's what's <laughs> wrong. Right. Because that's who talks to them is the complainers. And I say, this was absolutely perfect. I just wanted you to know that. And you just see the change come over them. Because yeah. their anticipation was so negative and they got something so positive. It, who, who does that? They like 400 drinks that day. Yeah. Maybe they'll hear that twice in the course of the day. I want to be one of those. Um, and I, and I, want, I want my life to be like that. I want my impact to be positive on people, even if they're a complete stranger, even if it's for two seconds. Because I want, and I want a boldness muscle for when I need it. When it's important, when I see Tom Hanks, I want to be able to walk over and go talk to him like a normal human being. When Richard Branson asked me if I want to play chess, I want to say yes, even though I haven't played in 30 years. So that's amazing. That's, 
That's yeah. amazing. So how did the Richard Branson question come about? Were you, how were you, first of all, even in the vicinity to be able to be asked by Richard Branson to play chess? Well, he has an island. He has a couple of islands in the British Virgin Islands. Necker Island is an island that he used to live on, and he rents it out to business groups, like 30 people is all the capacity. So I was down there with a group of business people, and sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not. He comes over and he hangs out. If he knows some of the people, he hangs out if he's around. Otherwise, he could be in another part of the world or on his other island with his family. But he was he was hanging around there, and we were playing tennis, and I ruptured my Achilles tendon Ooh. playing tennis. And I called a surgeon, and he said, you might as well stay there. It's not going to heal itself. Just get some crutches. Fly back at the end of the week. We'll fix it. Um, and so Richard hears about this, and he comes over to me because I'm sitting on this couch with my leg up. And he goes, oh, it's, it's such a bother that this has happened to you. Do you happen to play chess? And And... And shy Fred would have immediately thought, I haven't played chess in 30 years. I'm going to be terrible at this, right? And, but bold Fred said, oh yeah, I play chess. And so he waves to somebody, he says, bring a chess board over to the couch here. We sit down and we play. And I play such an unorthodox game because I'm so out of practice that I actually beat him, <laughs> right? Because he can't tell what the heck I'm doing. And I finally say, uh, that's check. I said, actually, it's checkmate. And he calls me this obscene name, right? And <laughs> and immediately sets the chessboard up again to play. And we had we end up getting in this conversation, talking politics. Uh, I had, but but I knew then not to do what people do, which is they interview him. Yeah. Or worse, they ask for money, right? Or no, like, they don't really. Oh my God, yes. Yes, man. They, they see it as a golden opportunity. I, all I need is fifty million dollars to launch <laughs> this great idea. I swear they'll do that because they finally have an audience with a billionaire, and he just wants to have a normal interaction. He doesn't need another investment. He's got four hundred businesses under the the Virgin brand, and and he doesn't run any of them. You yeah. know, he 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 helps promote some of them, but he's delegating them, and he's much more interested in his family. And uh, and in having fun. And he's an incredibly playful individual, but he's trying to make the world a better place. You want to talk to him about that? He'll talk to you all day long. Yeah. And I feel like that is just a key to being able to connect with and communicate with people that you see as further along on your journey. And I say that intentionally that you see as further along on your journey because they see themselves as human beings and they want to be around people who also see them as human beings. And it took me a long time to realize that, that the people that I was interacting with that I looked up to in all different areas, in music, in songwriting and speaking and training, that they put their pants on the same way that I do and they breathe the same way that I do. And they're just human beings that want to make friends and be treated like human beings, not treated like the celebrities that they have become because of the things that they've accomplished in their life. And the more that you can be just present with them without intentions or fear or being guarded or wanting something from them, the magic happens there, which I think is incredible. Yeah. If you're not trying to impress them, you're not trying to interview or interrogate them. You're not looking for something for them. You're trying to share something that it's, it's a very different experience. I, you know, I talk about Tom Hanks. I saw Tom and his wife uh, waiting to pick up some food at this uh, little takeout restaurant in Santa Monica. And I walked over to him and I just, he had, this was years ago and he had just produced the series from the earth to the moon that was on HBO. And I just went up and I said, excuse me, Mr. Hanks, I just wanted to let you know, I'm really enjoying the, from the earth to the moon. I, I really appreciate what you, what you've done here. It's just fantastic. And he just beamed and he said, oh, thank you so much for telling me. He says, he says, it's such a labor of love. He says, I care so much about it. I really love hearing uh, that that this is what you were thinking he didn't say get away from me you know why because i didn't try to take a damn selfie with them right yeah, exactly. i just wanted to let them know that his work was appreciated 
and I knew what it was, and I didn't have to ask him what his name was, which is some people do that with celebrities. It's just like, what's what's your name? You're in that show, that show that's on <laughs> some station. It was like, get away from him. You don't yeah. know his name, right? Yeah, or worse, you're true. calling them, you know, you're calling them Kramer from from Seinfeld, you know, uh, and and like that's not my name. That's uh, who I play on TV. You know, it's like, yeah. but but people because. They they don't know how to interact socially and they don't know how to relax and be a normal human being. Yeah, it's true. And COVID and being separated from human beings for so long has not helped this process process no, at all. No. So I'm sure that we could all use a refresher on how to connect and be human with people. So for people who want to check out your book, which I encourage everyone to do, what's the best place for them to find that? It is uh, because I'm self-published. It is not in bookstores, but it is on Amazon in all forms. It is hardcover, audio, which is me reading the audio, and it's in Kindle. It's in digital form. Uh, if you do a digital or audio form, you can go to fredjoyle.com, my website, and it mentions this in the book as well, to download the exercises in a PDF so that you can have them physically because you're going to want the exercises in your hand because uh, it's, it's very hard to do them listening in an audiobook or referring to them in a kindle so i've made that available to people also if you go to my website you can download the first chapter um there's there's information on keynotes that i do for for teams to try to teach your whole team how to be bold uh and also coach uh individual ceos who are struggling you know a lot of a lot of young entrepreneur ceos have a, a whole set of skills that don't include boldness and confidence in them because they invented a business and they're missing a lot of the skills that are required to be a good leader basically so i'm so excited for people to check it out um Let's go ahead and switch just a little bit to the success element part of this podcast. This podcast okay. is called More Than Corporate. And the reason for that is because people tie their identity to their professional success way too often without really defining what success means to them. And then they build this life that they don't recognize because they built it under this false premise of what they really wanted. I believe that the only way to change that is to go back to the beginning, define success and rebuild the life that you want to have with that definition as the guiding light for everything that you do. So I ask every single one of my guests, what does success mean to you? How do you define it? That's a great question. Yes. I, see, I, gave you I finally got to say it. Uh, uh, success means that I have brought a tremendous amount of value to every person in my life, whether it was that they know I love them and that I cared about them and I was there for them, or if I am trying to offer them counsel, advice, information, that that is what they need and it has an impact. It makes their life better. It gets them more on the path to chasing their dreams or building their confidence and feeling better about themselves. Or even what we're talking about is let be more aligned with what you actually want to achieve on, in life. What's actually going to be fulfilling because it's American society doesn't do a great job of showing you what's a fulfilling life. We all we have is lifestyles of the rich and famous and all these crazy reality shows of people living crazy overspending lives. And we think that's what I want. I want a yacht and a boat and, and, a, and you know, a, a remanufactured wife and all of this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, and like n nobody's gauging. Does that really satisfy you at the end of your life? You look back and go, there we go. That's the life I want to have lived. You yes. have to get to a point where you where you reflect and say, what really matters to me? And it's hard. It's hard because all of this other artificial stuff is in our face and you have to you have to cut through it and stop getting into the competition of of spending and aggregation of wealth and obscene wealth. Um, and 
you know, and, and if you're lucky, you get enough money to spend it and go, wow, that made me about 3% happier. Um, And I thought it was going to, you know, you you get to buy a couple of cars and you get to get some stuff in your house and you go, wow, I have stuff I don't use at all that cost me $10,000. That's really maddening, right? And you realize what, what, how much of this stuff is in this house that I don't use? Or you have a 30,000 square foot house that all you do is see servants all day and, and gardeners and, and, maintenance people and like you all you want is the one room where you can go by yourself um it's like i'm a big believer in finding out what what's really satisfying versus what somebody else has told you you should achieve and you should want yeah absolutely there's this really amazing documentary that was um created by Oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now. He was the director for the Ace Ventura movies. And he did this documentary called I Am. And a lot of the documentary talks about how his life and health and mental health got better when he downsized from this huge house where he had everything he thought he wanted to a trailer in a trailer park where he gets to live the life that he actually wants to have. And it's really interesting to hear somebody that has been at the highest of highs and chooses to live in a place that people don't equate as societal success and talk about that improving his life. Yeah. I mean, I've had, it's the same thing. I've had all sorts of expensive cars over the years and I'm driving a Honda after a Prius. And it's like, I don't care. And yeah. I've, I've had people go like, why don't you have a, a, a Tesla? It's like, because the, the, it's $50,000 worth of gas that I would have to buy to justify it. And I don't burn that much gas anyway. Yeah. Um, and I don't need it. I don't, I, I can, yeah, the, I had this great conversation is I was at, with a friend of mine who he, he loves his toys and I don't fault him for that because he, he uses them. Right. But, uh, we were both coming out of this restaurant after having lunch and I had my Prius at the time and he had his Ferrari and, uh, and he, and he's looking at my car and he's laughing. And I said, the funny thing is we're both embarrassed for each other, (laughs) right? I'm as embarrassed that you need this car as you think I should be to have a Prius. Um, Yeah. And he just has a great sense of humor about it because he knows me. He knows he loves me and it, it, he doesn't have to measure me. He, he has to contrast that with like, wow, he doesn't care at all about what he's driving anymore. Like, no, I don't need any more speeding tickets. You right? know? I, I've got a plenty. So. Well, and I think that there's this big distinction between having the toys because you want the toys because of the lifestyle that they allow you to have and having the toys because somebody on Instagram told you that success was taking a picture in an airplane. Uh, there's, there's a big difference between those two things. So I want to make clear that in this conversation, we're in no way saying, don't go get the things that you want. I'm just saying, want them before you go get them and want them for a reason that actually fulfills you rather than this external belief that that's what you're supposed to spend your money on. Yeah. I mean, private jet, flying private jets, a perfect example. I would love to be able to fly private all the time if I were, I would have to make a substantial amount more money to do that. But the only reason is for the time it would save me. It would be, I could care. I would not be telling people I'm, you know, I fly, I only fly private. I don't, I don't fly commercial. I, that would never come out of my mouth. You know why? Cause I don't need to impress people with how I get from one place to another. I just want the two hours back. Right. Yeah. That's, that's what would matter to me. But I would not impoverish myself to find myself on a private jet all the time. So. Yeah. And I'm completely, well, not completely opposite. I'm just another end of the triangle. I'd rather just fly the damn plane. So I would love to just <laughs> go get my pilot's license, which I have wanted to do for years, get a little Cessna and then fly wherever I want with my dog, whenever I want, without having to worry about who I can take on the plane and who I can't. So, or what I can take on the plane and what I can't. And, and that's also in and of itself, people are like, oh, you want your pilot's license? What would you ever do with that? Right? Like it's the, the differences between what makes us happy and why, and what we would want it for. Um, 
really quickly, as we start to wrap up, we talked about this definition of success for you, and it's a great overreaching definition. I'm interested to know day by day or week by week, what is it that you do to constantly check in with yourself to make sure that you're still on track and moving in the right direction with your guiding light of the definition of success? Well, I start every day with a five-minute journal that is actually, that's what it's called. And I, I write three things that I'm grateful for, um, three things that would make today great if they happen. And it aligns me. When I, when I stop and say what I'm grateful for, I could be grateful for watching the sunrise in the morning while I had my morning latte. Or... I could be grateful for my health or I could be grateful for that yesterday. I, I just had a wonderful dinner with my brother or I could be grateful that I just got this new client and, and he was so appreciative of the hour that we spent that he had to write a long email about it. Um, so I, I can, I can focus in on gratitude right out of the gate every day. And then I can focus on what I'm trying to accomplish every day because my day is about moving down the field, having some impact. To me, if you want a short sentence, success is having impact for me. I want to contribute. I want to make somebody's life better. And I, as many people as possible. So what, am, what do I need to do today to do that? And then I, I have all my affirmations. Um, you know, I am worthy of extraordinary love. I am disciplined with time, money, and energy. I'm a powerful speaker. I'm a popular author. I write those things down to reaffirm what is important to me. None of it is, I have a lot of stuff, right? I have a fancy, I don't write any of that because none of that matters. I mean, I, I, I like stuff, but, you know, COVID was great to realizing I didn't need to buy any clothes for a year. It was amazing. Like I, everything in my closet works for me. I need nothing. COVID um, was great for realizing a lot of things and COVID was horrible in so many other ways. So I'm not mitigating what it has done to lives and, and careers and futures. It was great in other ways at, at forcing us to slow down and realize what's important. Yeah, definitely. Well, as we wrap up, I'd like to end the show with a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Oh, yeah. Fire away, Amber. All right. If you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Uh, uh, I think I would like to be an exotic tour guide, like somebody that took you all these strange places that you wouldn't have imagined you even wanted to go and maybe never heard of. So. I love it. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, I, for the fun of it, I would go back to the 60s in Los Angeles where the rock and roll scene was just developing. Um, and also, and, and for some of it would be, you know, I'd like to hear Robert Kennedy speak uh, and, uh, in that time as well. I'd, I'd like to go to the Monterey Pop Festival, uh, <laughs> you know. So, so it's like all the the the, re, the this amazing three or four year period where rock and roll just exploded in, in Los Angeles. Um, so that would be the fun of it. Um, if uh, if I for a, a more spiritual reason, I'd like to go back to around 1930 uh, or, or to 0030 AD uh, to uh, Galilee and track down this preacher uh, and uh, hear what he had to say word for word. It's amazing. If you could recommend a book other than your amazing book, Super Bold, what book have you recommended to business owners and entrepreneurs the most? Um, the one I tend to recommend the most just because it's so practical is Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. So I mean, good. it's just so counterintuitive and so useful in any type of communication and negotiation situation. I mean, this is a, you know, an FBI hostage negotiator 
who's teaching you how every one of these things applies to every communication and business situation you're in, and even personal situation, even just buying a car uh, of all of this stuff. Yeah, um, it's so good. So, it's but so but good. the list of books is you know could go on and on. Uh, I hear you. I got a bookcase full of them back here. Um, yes. Yes. Um, and my last question, maybe most important, if people want to follow up on this conversation, what is the best way for them to reach you? Uh, Fredjoyle.com, J-O-Y-A-L, no dots or dashes. Uh, you can actually book a half hour conversation with me right there on the site if you want to. Uh, whether you're you're looking for personal coaching or you just go, look, I'm way shyer than you think I am. I'll go head to head with you and say, no, I'm shyer than you. I did this. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't do this. I missed this opportunity. I dare you to top that. Uh, Amazing. You know, I'll, I'll jumpstart them. So. Amazing. Fred, it's been absolutely great having you on the show. I've appreciated your insight. I'm super excited for everybody to check out your book. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.